Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. I think we got a good one this evening, Ethan. Yeah, I definitely think we got a good one. I'm so happy to be reunited with you, my friend. I know it's been a couple weeks. I know I missed you last week. I checked out your episode though on Men from Moto, and it was very, very good. You guys crushed it analyzing Huey's draft. Thank you. Likewise, I really enjoyed your episode with Travis. It was very cool to get to download an episode of my own podcast and have it be a surprise. (laughs) Yeah, that's super cool. So we've got a good one here. The episode this week is how to draft and win in Ixalan. Uh, I think a lot of people have been struggling in this format. Uh, You and I both initially, certainly, and I think we finally turned the corner. Yeah, for sure. This this was a rough start for the this format for me especially and i feel really confident in the past two weeks about my approach to this format yeah so should we check in on the trophy leaderboard i think we should you are destroying it my friend yeah i've had a pretty good run here the last couple weeks uh i've done 59 drafts have 21 trophies so trophying a little more than one in three drafts have 125 and 52 overall record for a 70.6 percent win rate which i'm gonna round up to 71 percent boy. So I have a lot more drafts under my belt, almost twice as many. I'm at 93 drafts with 27 trophies. So I've made, I think I'm about seventh place on the trophy leaderboard right now. Heck yeah, you are. Uh, my win rate is 173 to 96, which is 64%. But I looked at my first half of my drafts on my second half of my drafts. I was 58% win rate in my the like first half of my drafts and 69 percent in the second half so just uh feel like i i burned through a lot of drafts when i didn't really know what was going on and now i feel like i've hit my stride and i think what we're going to lay out here in the episode for you tonight is what is attributing like to your increasing win rate i would think yes for sure so yeah if you're if you're struggling with this format and you want to know how a a way to win there might be others but this is how uh ethan and i are approaching the format strap your seatbelts in and without further ado i think we should take a seat at the round table Let's do it, man. Let's get get down in there. Okay, we've got our first pack here, and cards in contention include Skyblade of the Legion, one in a white for a 1-3 flying vampire soldier, Headstrong Brute, two in a red for a 3-3 orc pirate, Headstrong Brute can't block, and it has menace as long as you control another pirate, Deep Root Warrior, one in a green for the 2-2 merfolk warrior, and when it becomes blocked, it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Steadfast Armasaur, that's three and a white for the two three dinosaur with vigilance, and it's got the activated ability one and a white tap. Steadfast Armasaur deals damage equal to its toughness to target creature blocking or being blocked by it. 
Bonded Horncrest, three and a red for the 5-5 dinosaur that can't attack or block alone. So, I feel like maybe at the start of the format, I would have taken Bonded Horncrest, just because it's a big, beefy thing. People were pretty excited about dinosaurs at the start of the format. Four mana for a 5-5 is an incredible rate. Can't attack or block alone is not that big of a drawback, especially as a four mana slot. But as we'll get into in the episode today, uh, you and I are both really high on two drops, especially efficient two drops that scale well with the game, and Deep Root Warrior does that fantastically. Two mana for a 2-2 that can attack as a 3-3 when it gets blocked basically is going to trade with almost every common in the format. So I'm pretty excited about grabbing that here. What do you think? I think so too. That is what I first picked and I wasn't thrilled about it. I think, you know, as we'll get into later in the episode, I think we're both trying to avoid green a little bit. So I, mm-hmm. I took this first and I think if you're green, you really want to be merfolk, maybe dinosaurs if you get some savage stomps or some drovers of the mighty, something along those lines. But mostly if I'm green, I'm looking to be merfolk. So, but once you're merfolk, there's not a lot of wiggle room. So I was pretty nervous about taking this first um, and very willing to move off of it. But I do think that's the pick and that's what I took there. Yeah, I like it. Moving on to pack two, uh, we see the following cards. Tillinolly's Knight, one in a red for a 2-2 human knight. When it attacks, if you control a dinosaur, it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Queen's Commission, two in a white for the sorcery that says create two, one, one vampire creature tokens with lifelink. One with the wind, one in a blue for the enchantment aura that says enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two and has flying. Colossal Dreadmaw, although not really interested in taking a six drop this early. Uh, four green green for the six, six trample dinosaur. Seeker Squire, one in a black for the one two human scout. When it enters the battlefield, it explores. Lightning Rig Crew, two and a red for the O5 Goblin Pirate. Has the ability tap, deal one damage to each opponent, and whenever you cast a pirate spell, untap it. And Deadeye Plunders, three blue black for the three three human pirate that gets plus one plus one for each treasure you control. No, each artifact you control, excuse me. And two blue black uh, activated ability to create a colorless treasure token. This pack is much better than our first pack. I think there's a. Um many more strong cards here um but even without our deep root warrior so there's not really another green card that is that exciting to me here but there are some other really strong first picks i think it comes down to seeker squire and one with the wind here again another really strong two drop that can either replace itself by drawing a land or be a two mana two three that lets you scry the top card of your library is something i value a lot but one with the wind is one of the most powerful things to do in this format as we'll get into again in this episode uh we really are valuing the powerful effects that enhance your creatures like one with the wind pirates cutlass and mark of the vampire so i'd be pretty excited to grab one with wind here and of note that one with the wind goes really well in a merfolk deck so if you do end up going blue green merfolk uh with your deep root warrior the one with the wind is going to slot in really nicely there but i think it's also nice too that it doesn't have to go in merfolk like it leaves you out to just be any any other color too so it leaves you very flexible here like it's not like you're taking a card that says merfolk on it that makes you feel like you're locked into merfolk any thought to lightning rig crew i know you were very high on that card at the start of the format has that gone down for you at all i feel like you're just calling me out here just throwing me under the bus yeah you know lightning rig crew is uh (laughs) is perhaps not the riddle form of the format that i wanted it to be i still think it's a very strong card and if i am in a a red based pirate deck i'm gonna be excited about it but it's not something that i want to grab and really like go all in on pirates it's more something that like if I see it, it's a it's a signal to me that Pirates is open if I see it fourth, fifth, sixth pick. But it's not something that I want to grab in pick two. I want to take something that is just going to be good in any deck I draft, and one with the wind fits that bill. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Because I, I was asking because I think I've actually got Lightning Red Crew over Seeker Squire for the moment. But that, that could be. Oh, wrong. I do not. I do okay. not have that. Okay. Yeah. All right, moving on to pick three. So we've got a Deep Root Warrior in our pile and a one with the wind. Pick three, you see the following cards Raptor Companion, one and a white for a 3 1 dinosaur. Prosperous Pirates, four and a blue for a 3 4 human pirate that makes two treasure tokens when it enters the battlefield. Blossom Dryad probably is the best green card. Two and a green for the 2-2 Dryad. Taps to untap target land. Stormfleet Spy. Two and a blue for the 2-2 Human Pirate that raids when it enters the battlefield. If you attacked with a creature this turn, draw a card. And Rigging Runner. Single red for the 1-1 First Strike Goblin Pirate that's got raid trigger of entering the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it. It was a pretty weak pack overall. So there's nothing that like on raw power level sticks out to me as being the best. So then I'm going to look at things that pair well with our first two picks. And I think that leads me to take uh, Stormfleet Spy as the best blue card here to pair with One with the Wind over one of the green cards. Like you said, Blossom Dryad was the best card in the pack. So Blossom Dryad plus Deep Root Warrior is not really where I want to be. So I think I would come down on Stormfleet Spy here. Yeah, that's also where I ended up. Not a super tough pick there after picking up one with the wind. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a nice follow-up. Leaves you directions. I think you would probably play that in a Merfolk deck, though if you had a mm-hmm. really good Merfolk deck, I think you'd be hoping not to play Stormfleet Spy, maybe. Yeah, it's it's I mean it's like just fine. Like a three mana two two that replaces itself is actually pretty strong in this format, but I think there are better things you can do. Alright, moving on to pick four here. So we've got two blue cards and a green card in our pile. And we see Thrash of Raptors, three and a red for the 3-3 Dinosaur. As long as you control another dinosaur, it gets plus two, plus O and Trample. Card is a house in the dinosaur's deck. Yeah. Uh, Fathom Fleet Firebrand, one and a red for the 2-2 Human Pirate. Uh, it's got Smoke Breathing, Patent Pending, one and a red to give it plus one, plus O until end of turn. Uh, New Horizons as the strongest green card in the pack. That's two and a green for the Enchant Land Aura. When it enters the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. And Enchanted Land has Tap to add two mana of any one color to your mana pool. Shipwreck Looter as the best blue card in the pack. Uh, one and a blue for a 2-1 human pirate. It's got raid trigger when it enters the battlefield. You get a loot, uh, draw a card, discard a card. And Seeker Squire as a black card in the pack. It's the second Seeker Squire we've seen. That's one and a black for the 1-2 Explorer. Yeah, so of note, you really haven't seen any good green since you took the Deep Root Warrior. No, none at all. And I think there's an argument for taking Shipwreck Looter here just as a to stick with blue and see what else you want to figure out. Um, but I think Seeker Squire and Fathom Fleet Firebrand are enough better two drops that moving off of blue to take a hedge on either a black or a red card here is pretty strong. And between those two, I definitely think Fathom Fleet Firebrand is great. I mean, this is one of, I think, the best commons in the format, which is a far cry from where we came out of uh, in the set review. Not that we were down on this card, but just that we weren't really that uh, excited about it either. Just thought it was a 2-2 with upside, but it's a 2-2 with upside is really good in this aggressive format so i think fathomfleet firebrand is a really good hedge pick here and might be a signal that red is open yeah that's what i went with uh i took the fathomfleet firebrand um so now we've got two no we've got a green card a deep root warrior two blue cards a one with the wind a stormfleet spy and a red card in fathomfleet firebrand so we've got lots of options and this is how i like to start uh ixalan drafts i want to have options to go into multiple archetypes or i just want my archetype to be obviously wide open which is not the case here i don't think like merfolk doesn't seem to be super open in the seat no where we started so moving on to pick five here we see uh several options shaper apprentice that's one in a blue for the two one merfolk wizard uh it's got mm-hmm. flying as long as you control another merfolk best blue card in the pack pirates cutlass which a lot of people have pegged as the best common and i think you and i do too mm-hmm. it's three mana for the equipment when it enters the battlefield attach it to target pirates you control equipped creature gets plus two plus one and it's got an equip cost of two 
no real red cards to speak of in the pack. Uh, there's a Fire Shrine Keeper. That's the single red for the 1-1 one, one Menace. That's got the uh, eight mana tap to deal three damage to each of up to two target creatures. There's an Ixali's Keeper as the best green card in the pack. One and a green for the 2-2 two, two Human Shaman with the activated ability of eight. Tap it, sack it, and target creature gets plus five, plus five, and gains trample until end of turn. And then there's also a Deadeye Quartermaster in the pack. Three and a blue for the 2-2 two, two Human Pirate. And when it enters the battlefield, you can search up a equipment or a vehicle card you had me at pirates cutlass ben yep could have stopped there yeah hard to believe that there would be much better than that and hard to believe that the people to our right should have taken the cards that they took over it uh instead you know yeah because there's already a couple commons missing from this pack right yeah um so i definitely think pirates cutlass is the pick here uh it's nice that you've already got um a few pirates with the fathom fleet fire brand on the Stormfleet spy but even without the auto equip the pirates cutlass is very strong in this format yeah. All right. Moving on to pick six. So we've got the two blue cards, one green card, one red card, and a pirate's cutlass. Very flexible here. Pick six, we see uh, another Shaper Apprentice. So maybe maybe Merfolk is open. That's the second Shaper Apprentice we've seen in a row here. We see another Fathom Fleet Firebrand, and we see Wild Growth Walker as the best green card in the back. Although we're a yeah. far cry from that, we have no explorer so far. One on a green for the one three elemental that whenever a creature you control explores, you put a plus one plus one counter on it, and you gain three life. Yeah, pretty nice to see Fathomfleet Firebrand here pick six. I think uh, I think that makes me excited about having the Cutlass even more and makes me excited about having picked up Fathomfleet Firebrand uh, a couple picks ago. Yeah, that's also what I went with. And then the rest of this draft uh, kind of rounded out. Interestingly, I thought maybe there were some Merfolk signals. Pick seven, I picked up a Shaper Apprentice. Pick eight, I picked up a Kumena Speaker. There was also a River Herald's Boon in that pack with the Shaper Apprentice, but I took the Shaper Apprentice over the River Herald's Boon because I knew... I was blue. I just didn't know if I was blue, red, or blue, green. So I was certain to play the Shaper Apprentice in either deck. And then I actually ended up settling on blue, red. Blue and red were the most open throughout the course of the draft. So I had options to go into Merfolk or blue, red, and blue, red ended up being what was open in my seat. Yeah, I mean, it uh, looked like the deck that you ended up drafting was pretty great. And the fact that you were able to move so freely off of the Deep Root Warrior, I think probably allowed you to do that. Yeah, for sure. All right, so we're going to move into... Our main topic today, the whole episode, we're going to be devoted to how to draft and win in Ixalan. And I think the most important thing to discuss here is a, sort of a paradigm shift that has happened with Ixalan, which is, I think, a reason a lot of people have been struggling with the format, and ourselves included, uh, save for the last couple weeks. And that has to do with a fundamental idea for Limited of bread as the correct drafting order so i feel like a lot of people learn like bread is a pretty big level up moment in your early limited days yeah like i remember when i was a kid at the card shop learning about breads bombs removal evasion abilities dudes and i thought it was like the coolest thing since sliced bread literally like i was like yes this is awesome like i immediately felt like i was better at magic when somebody told me that Right, so it like just gave you a way to categorize cards into like five different slots and how to rank them and how to approach draft in that way. The problem is is that Ixalan does not conform to that level of evaluations. So bombs certainly still exist. You want to uh, be very conscious of when you open or when you get past game-winning bombs in this format because they don't exist that much i mean there are a handful of really powerful spells in the format hostage taker regisaur alpha Vraska, um, Vraska, Watley, sure but there's also a lot of clunkers at the rare and mythic rare uh level so you don't see those bombs that often and we don't really have removal as the second thing we're going to introduce a new acronym here we're going to call this one beard 
Arr, those pirates have their beards. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that a lot. So uh, B certainly still for bombs, but E we're gonna say stands for enhancements, and that's mostly going to be pirates cutlass and one with the wind. Pirates cutlass we already talked about as being what we think is probably the best common in the format, and that is for two reasons. One is that it's colorless, so it's going to leave you not committed to any archetype or color when you take it, which is pretty important in this format because this format is a lot about finding your open lane and your open archetype or colors for your seat. Um, And Pirate's Cutlass lets you wait one pick longer before you have to commit to any sort of color requirements. And the second is that the power level of the creatures is pretty flat. The format is based around 2-2s and 3-3s. I think Semulin mentioned this in the last week's episode. He said this is a format of hill giants. And you can sort of look at 2-drops, 3-drops, 4-drops, and 5-drops in the format, and they're all 2-2s and 3-3s. Now sometimes they get to explore, and your 2-2 becomes a 3-3, or your 3-3 becomes a 4-4, like Sunrise Seeker. But let's take a look at in red. You've got Fathom Fleet Firebrand, right? That's yep. or let's let's look at let's look at black. So you've got Dire Fleet Hoarder. That's one and a black for a two one. Then you've got Dead Eye Tormentor. That's two and a black for a two two. Then you've got Dire Fleet Interloper. That's uh, three and a black for a two two with Explore. So it could be a three three. So all of these things you're investing one mana more in for the same amount of power and toughness. So two twos and three threes rule the format. So when you get to slap a Pirate's Cutlass on something and make that a 4-3 or a 5-4 if you're putting it on a 3-3. That makes it much larger than the rest of the creatures that are going to be on the battlefield, save for a few dinos. So it's really going to outclass most of the creatures on the board, which is why Pirate's Cutlass is so strong. And similarly to why one with the wind is so strong, it buffs up the power and toughness and also tacks on evasion. So we're going to go bombs, enhancements, aggro next, over removal. So we are valuing efficient, aggressive two drops, and three drops over the clunky removal spells of the format. Now, sometimes you're going to have a Walk the Plank or a Vanquish the Weak or a Pious Interdiction that you need. I mean, I think we're about, I'm about on, like, I really hope I have one strong removal spell in my deck, but you don't need much more. This format is really based around creature combat, so things like combat tricks go up in value a lot, like vampire zeal skullduggery is basically a removal spell and can be a two for one uh sure strike goes up in value and i think you and i probably have sure strike ahead of unfriendly fire at this moment yeah i think i like sure strike better than unfriendly fire yeah so things like unfriendly fire and contract killing these like five mana removal spells don't actually net you a lot of mana they're like negative tempo plays for your deck because the format is based around these really powerful two drops like when your opponent has their Fathom Fleet Firebrand beating you down and your answer is to wait till turn five to play Contract Killing on it, that feels bad on so many levels. Well, and heaven forbid your opponent has a dive down also. Like when you get your Contract Killing dive down, it just feels yeah. so miserable. Especially if you were hoping to use those two treasures that turn to do something. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then D for dudes, like you just want to then continue to round out your deck with as many like good two drops three drops that you can some even one drops that you can uh to make your deck good now and this is not to say that control decks or mid-range decks are not viable in the format because they certainly are but you just have to keep even with that mindset you have to keep this order in mind of how you're ranking cards because this is how other winning players are going to be ranking cards they're going to be valuing two drops they're going to be curving out on you when you are on the draw and your opponent plays something on turn two and you don't you're not winning that game most of the time 
Yeah, it's really tough when you're on the draw and you miss your two drop. And I think if you're a control deck, you need to have a plan for your opponent going one drop, suiting it up with one with the wind or swashbuckling. Those are mm-hmm. very, very common plays that happen in this format, and you have to have a plan to deal with them. Great. All right, do you want to talk about uh, sort of the mechanics of navigating a draft in this format? Yeah, I think you like gave an initial outline on this uh, like very well on Men From Moto last week, but I just want to reiterate it in case any of our regular listeners didn't go check you out over on Men From Moto. Um, so here's how I think both of us sit down and try to navigate a draft much more so than ever before like i'm really trying to pay attention to and maybe that just means i I wasn't being a great drafter (laughs) in other formats but i think what wheels in pack one is super important in this set because it gives you clues as to what tribes might be open for your seat um and we've already been over this several times but having enough two drops in whatever like color pair you decide to be in is critical you cannot end up with only three or four two drops and expect your deck to be very good in this format I i was thinking today that five is the minimum that i want that seems like a good number to me, yeah. If I have less than five, I'm worried about my deck. I think maybe the one deck that can get away with less than that is Vampires because they have the life gain to make up for missing their two drop. But even then, I'm not be thrilled to be missing my two drop. I want to be playing a Bishop Soldier on turn two if I'm Vampires. Exactly. And I think another like big overarching thought for this format that uh, actually Ehedude, and quick shout out to Ehedude, uh, he made the top eight, uh, his name is Sasha, his first name is Sasha, he made the top eight of a PTQ on Modo today and lost in the semifinals of the draft, which I'm sure was a bummer for him, but like huge congratulations. He had no rares in his sealed deck, it was all commons and uncommons, he went eight and one in sealed, um, drafted a very good red-white aggro deck and then lost in the semis. And I'm sure if he keeps at it, he's going to be... He's going to be getting in there because he's a very good player, very good drafter. Yeah, I think this is also a great time to, to shout out to him and to Ryan Sachs, who I think helped us really figure out how to change our evaluations of the cards in this format and really helped us turn around our like slumps into winning streaks. Yes, everything we're outlining this episode, like they've talked to us about, and I think like we've found it to be true through drafting and listening to them and things like that. Right. Um. So we we definitely experienced this too, but certainly the initial ideas for this were were from them. Ryan Sachs writes for Star City Games. He's a great guy. Had him Skype in on stream this week. It was super fun. Yeah. So one thing that uh, a dude typed in my chat today while he was like just crushing the mocks was like <laughs> he was he was hanging out in my stream while he was playing the mocks. He said it relaxed him. Um, he said you want to be the ones asking questions in this format and making your opponent have the answers rather than have your deck based around being the one that's having answers to the questions that your opponent's asking. And I thought that was a very like simplistic way to put it. You're trying to ask questions. You want to be very proactive in the format. Um, and the other thing when I'm drafting that I want to try to do is give myself outs to end up in as many good archetypes as possible or just have my archetype obviously wide open from the get-go, but that's not going to happen very often. Um, so just kind of a general thing, I think you outlined this pretty well on Men From Moto, is picks one through three, you're trying to take the best card or the most flexible card out of every pack or when that's not really an option, like a, an all-star in its archetype. Like on stream today, I had to first pick uh, Shapers of Nature, the one blue-green for the 3-3 Merfolk Shaman, mm-hmm. which like I'm not thrilled to first pick that because it only goes in one deck, right? Like if you're not right. playing blue-green, like that card's not making your deck, but it's very good in that deck, so I think that's also like something you can do in picks one through three that's fine. Yeah. And then picks four through eight, you're trying to pay very close attention to signal cards for each of the best archetypes. And we're going to outline those later in the episode, like what what cards are clues for which archetype being open. So trying to see which which of these cards you're seeing in picks four through eight. And then picks nine through 15, you're supposed to take very careful note of like what cards are wheeling. Like, do they say vampire on them? Do they say dinosaur on them? Are you wheeling two drop merfolk? Um, and heaven forbid you wheel one of the best cards in an archetype, then you're probably just supposed to move in right. um, no matter what's going on. And then like kind of going into pack two, like you either want to position yourself to be solidly in an archetype, like know your vampires or know your merfolk or know your 
pirates or have outs to be like two to three good archetypes. And I think a lot of that comes from like one with the wind, like aggressive strategies. Like a lot of times if you're base blue, you have outs blue pairs very well with all of the colors. Um, you can have outs to be like blue, red or blue, green um, mm-hmm. similarly. So we're going to go over all these archetype cards. And before we do that, uh, we're going to take a look at what we think are the top commons in the set and why. So you want to run us through that, Ethan? Yeah, I do. I just want to piggyback on one of the ideas you just said as the, like trying to figure out what the open archetype for your seed is. I think in this format more than others, it's really important to not be gun shy. Um, I feel like there are times in uh, previous formats that maybe aren't so like aggressively bent or uh, like tribally bent that I might be like, well, I'll just like, take this red card over this green card because it pairs well with the red cards I already have so I don't have to make a decision of what my second color is. But if that green card happens to be like an all-star in uh, like River Herald's Boon, that's an all-star in Merfolk, that is something you really want to jump on and be like, maybe this is a Merfolk signal, maybe it isn't. But if it is, I'm going to get rewarded handsomely. And if it's not, I'm not missing out on a ton. So I think you really need to be able to like jump on that when you see it, rather than being like, okay, well, I see that River Herald's Boon, but I'll wait and see what happens in the next pack. Because that can sort of be disastrous because it can put the person to your left into the deck that you're supposed to be in. Right. In this format, I find myself almost wanting early in the draft to be in multiple colors so that I'm flexible and I have options to go many different directions. I really don't mind my first four picks being cards of different colors because then i've got lots of color combinations to mash up to find the right open tribe you saw that thing i posted on twitter that was my first six picks were <laughs> yeah <a> pir- i did <laughs> a pirate's cutlass and then a common from each color but i think that's a great place to be in this format it, it wasn't bad I, I mean my deck ended up as a 2-1 like it wasn't great but i like i did feel like i was taking the best cards out of each pack and sort of making hedge picks on like well maybe vampires is open maybe dinosaurs is open that sort of thing all right anyway so to talk about not train wrecking here because i think uh train wrecking is a phrase that's been thrown around a lot for this format in particular um and i think that's because people maybe commit too early or aren't able to get off with a are on to commit to the archetype they're supposed to be in so the, the most powerful cards that you can take at the start other than certainly bombs or really strong cards and archetypes are cards that keep you open, cards that you keep talking about, these cards that are going to be powerful in any deck, regardless of what the archetype or tribe is. So that's why Pirate's Cutlass is at the top of this list for us. Um, It's just going to go into any deck, no matter what it is, if it has pirates or not. Like, all the creatures are going to be small, and you're going to want to suit them up with a Pirate's Cutlass. Similarly, we've got One with the Wind on there uh, as a card that's going to go in any deck you play that has blue cards in it, um, whether it's super aggro, whether it's mid-range, even when it's, whether it's controlling. Like One with the Wind is going to be a very powerful effect in this format. Strong two drops like Bishop Soldier and Fathom Fleet Firebrand are going to slot in here. Strong tempo-based creatures like Water Trap Weaver and Territorial Hammer Skull are, are going to go in any deck you play. And cheap removal in black like vanquish the weak and skullduggery note that contract killing is not on this list uh are all going to go into any deck that has black in it as long as you've got the vanquish and the skullduggery in your pile and i think one thing to note here is that there are no green cards on this list right we've we've got literally no green cards we've got red we've got white we've got blue we've got black we've even got an artifact but no green cards ben talk to us about why there are no green cards on this list Yeah, I think trying to avoid green early is really good because it's not very flexible. Like what you said, you're trying to avoid train wrecking. I think one of the biggest ways to train wreck in this format is if your first pick cards are cards that only go into Merfolk, like green cards that only go into Merfolk, and then Merfolk isn't open in your seat. And you either try to force it and don't end up with a good Merfolk deck, because I think a medium Merfolk deck is just a bad deck, Mm -hmm. because it's really hard to like 
outpace life gain from vampires or things like that if you're not really like the super all-in aggro merfolk deck right i mean like a, a medium merfolk deck probably means you drafted wrong a medium right. merfolk deck probably means something else was what you were supposed to be drafting yes yes and i think like the other green cards like i'm not really happy with any of the green archetypes like green white i've i've literally never drafted green white in the format nope and i every time i play against green white i win like that's why i haven't drafted it because it just seems so clunky to me on the other side of the table and i'm always able to beat whatever it is they're doing either tempo it out or race it with one of the wind with the wind or some of those things so i've literally never drafted green white and ryan today said he's got like a 90 percent win rate against green white or something like he tracks what he plays against um, mm. in stream today so really trying to avoid green white also like not in love with green black i think it's a viable deck uh if it comes together like if green exactly green and black are open in your seat it's a thing you can do but I don't, i'm not looking to do that at all like i'll do that if i get pigeonholed into it and i think it's fine um and red green dinos i've been having some success with lately mostly if i've got savage stomp that card's been a huge house for me yeah um and green red dinos and i think also to be green red dinos for your deck to be good you really need Odapek hunt master and or drover the mighty and all three of those cards are uncommons i think a lot of the good green decks outside of merfolk really rely on uncommons and rares to make your deck be good um so starting a draft there is a rough place to be if you're banking on uncommons and rares getting past you because it just might not happen. Whereas all these other decks that we're having a lot of success with are more common and uncommon based. Yeah. So if you're starting green and Merfolk and Dinos aren't open in your seat, you either like train wreck or you give up a lot of your first like four five, six, maybe seven picks to move into another archetype, which can just be a disaster because sometimes it's hard to make playables in this format if you don't realize what you're supposed to be doing soon enough. So I just kind of have some cards here that I'm willing to start in green, and I outside of these cards, I'm not willing to go into green. Drover the Mighty, that's the one in a green for the 1-1 one, one human druid that taps to add any color of mana to your mana pool and turns into a 3-3 three, three if you control a dinosaur. Savage Stomp, that's two in a green for the sorcery that puts a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control, and that creature fights another target creature. Um, and it costs a single green if it's targeting a dinosaur, which is huge. That's a way for the dinosaur deck to come back from behind against some of these more aggressive starts. Uh, waker of the wilds that's two green green for the three three merfolk something shaman maybe um you can pay green green x to put x plus one plus one counters on a land and turn it into a zero zero creature with haste ripjaw raptor that's the two green green for the four five dinosaur that's got an enraged trigger of draw a card and carnage tyrant uh that's four green green for a seven six hexproof trample i think that's it dinosaur can't be countered can't be countered that's right mythic rare or I'll start with a Merfolk, like we saw in that draft uh, that we did for our roundtable today. A Merfolk, we picked the Deep Root Warrior out of a very weak pack. And if that's the case, I'm very, very willing to move off that Merfolk card. Yeah. So that that's the list for me. Do you have any others? No, I think that's a great list. I mean, I, I've i really been taking the, like, avoid green to heart. I haven't gotten a red-green Dinos deck, and that's probably uh, my fault. I, I may have been missing out on... Uh, green decks but i've just had a lot of success starting in in some form of esper colors and then moving from there if if red happens to be open but we're really only going into green for the merfolk deck and how i feel like you can get into the merfolk deck is paying attention to what comes picks four through seven four through eight ish and sometimes pick three so it's really hard to figure out what uh, signals you're getting in like picks two and even pick three because like someone might have taken a, a foil someone might have taken a, a an uncommon or whatever like it's hard to know what signals are open but by pick four i'm willing to think that merfolk is open specifically for three cards here and that's going to be vine shaper mystic 
Shapers of Nature, and River Herald's Boon. And so Vine Shaper Mystic is the two and a green for the one three merfolk, that when it comes into play, you can put a plus one plus one counter onto each of up to two target merfolk. So it can either buff itself, or ideally you can go one drop, two drop, Vine Shaper Mystic, make each of the one and two drops that you played bigger and then attack with them, um, which is a really powerful thing to do. Shapers of Nature we talked about, that's the one green blue for the three three merfolk that gets to either have an activated ability of three and a green to put a counter on something or two and a blue to remove a counter to draw a card. Um, and River Herald's Boon uh, is a premium common here, a really strong merfolk signal. Uh, that's the one and a green for the instant to put two, to put a plus one plus one counter on a creature you control and then a plus one plus one counter on a merfolk you control. So the versatility of this card really makes combat kind of miserable for your opponents. Uh, you can save one merfolk by putting two plus one counters on it and uh, then it's a much bigger creature for the rest of the game, or you can sort of spread those out and put them on multiple creatures. Uh, but all three of those cards are really strong cards that I'm willing to move in to Merfolk on around picks four. Picks five and six, um, I know this is, we're sort of like getting nitty gritty of like, when am I seeing these cards? But uh, I sort of have a notch below those cards, uh, Kamina Speaker and River Sneak. So Kamina Speaker is the one drop, the green mana for the one one that gets plus one plus one if you either have an island or another Merfolk in play. And River Sneak is the one in a blue for the 1-1, one, one, unblockable, that gets plus plus one until end of turn uh, when you cast a Merfolk. So all of the, both of these cards, I think, are really strong in Merfolk, certainly, but are cards that you are going to want to uh, maybe pick up a little later than the three we mentioned before. And then the last thing I think you want to be aware of is what's going later in the pack, what's going seventh, eighth, what's coming back from your first pack, your second pack, my ninth or tenth pick. Are you seeing late Shaper Apprentices? Are you seeing late Deep Root Warriors? Are you seeing late Jade Guardians? Like the Shaper Apprentice is the one in a blue for the 2-1 that gets flying Eve of a Merfolk. Deep Root Warrior we talked about in the round table. That's the one in a green 2-2. Jade Guardian is three in a green for the 2-2 Hexproof that comes into play and puts a counter on, plus plus one counter on a Merfolk you control. All of these cards are things that I am aware of in packs and aware of them at different stages of my first pack and give me ideas about how many other Merfolk drafters are at the table. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a very good list. I've got Kumena's Speaker a little bit higher than you. I think mm -hmm. that card's pretty important. Getting a one drop down that's a 2-2 on turn one in this format is pretty big game. So I've, I've got that a maybe on the same tier with those other three cards, Vine Shaper Mystic, Shapers of Nature, and River Herald's Boon. The only reason I don't think that I you need it that much is the existence of Jungle Delver. I agree that you need a one drop, and it's nice when that one drop is a two two. But when you've got the river or the River Herald's boons or the Vine Shaper Mystics, like just having Jungle Delver on turn one is gonna do that job basically as well. Yeah, that makes sense to me. All right, so some vampires signal cards here. I think we've got vampires as one of the best decks in the format. Yeah. Some signal cards. A big one for me was when I understood that Anointed Deacon was like the card that makes vampires tick, uh, mm -hmm. along with Pirate's Cutlass. Pirate's Cutlass is very good. So Anointed Deacon in Vampires is the four and a black for the three, three. And at the beginning of combat, it triggers and you can give target vampire on your team plus two plus O oh until end of turn. Pirate's Cutlass, we've talked about it's the equipment that gives a creature plus two plus one. Uh, Dustborn Sky Marcher is another one. That's the single white for the one one flyer that has the activated ability one white tap, give target attacking vampire plus one plus one until end of turn. Can I pause you for a second? Sure, absolutely. So can you talk about why Anointed Deacon and Pirate's Cutlass are so important in the vampire deck? Yeah, because the vampires kind of wants to build up an army of 1-1 lifelinkers or bishop soldiers, cards with lifelink, and then ways to buff them and kind of grind the opponent into oblivion with their 1-1 lifelink tokens. So ideally, you've got like a pirate's cutlass and an anointed deacon or two anointed deacons on your side of the battlefield, and you're suiting up one of those 1-1 lifelink tokens 
with the pirate's cutlass and and the buff from anointed deacon and swinging in with maybe like a five two lifelink token or a five one lifelink token if you've got two anointed deacons and that's really hard one for opponents to race like they can't just ignore it and let it hit them for five and then you gain five nigh impossible to race but then also they're trading cards for it your tokens your cards that generate two tokens like your queen's commission or the uncommon the two white and black that makes three what's the name of that card call to the feast dinner's ready baby boom yeah (laughs) (laughs) um also paladin of the bloodstained then the the vampire's deck just grinds the opponent into oblivion and uses those tokens as card advantage like each of those tokens essentially becomes a card a very good card worth of value a 5-1 lifelink is a good card yeah yeah it is (laughs) it's a great card especially when you're getting two of them off of one card but remember what we talked about at the start of the episode with beard like the this is a format of two twos and three threes and when you are turning a card like Call to the Feast, which makes three one one lifelinkers. When you're turning each of those into three one lifelinkers that trade with literally ninety percent of the creatures in the format, you're turning your Call to the Feast into three relevant bodies. So it just makes combat miserable. It makes racing impossible, and it really makes Call to the Feast a literal three for one. Yeah, it really is great. I had a I had the Nuts Vampire deck at the end of my stream today. Mm-hmm. Also, I had an insane stream today. I had like over 200 people watching me for like most of the day. It was awesome. That's the, that's the first time I've ever had that happen to me. I mean, I'm not surprised. You're great, but you are crushing it this week. I feel like every time I've looked in, you're like cruising at 100 natural viewers, like no host needed. Yeah, I didn't have any hosts either. Like it was it was out natural. And like Gabriel Nassif was streaming too. Like <laughs> Like, how do I have more viewers than him? That's so insane to me. You're the Lord of Limited, baby. I know, yeah. Streaming's great. <laughs> like, I had never dreamed that streaming would be this awesome. I knew I would like it, but I didn't, I'd never fathom that it would go this well. Anyway, um, quick aside there. Yeah, I love it. What I was, so what I was going to say was that I had four anointed deacons in that deck. And I had an, yeah. I had an option to pick up a fifth. And I was like, eh, five seems like too many. Wrong. <laughs> you just, really? You just want, like, I would have played six. I, I had really? a Bishop of Rebirth. Yeah, it was so good. All I wanted every game was like, can I just draw an anointed deacon, please? <laughs> like, wow. And when you have two, it's great. Like, I, yeah, I think five, six might be the max, but I think I would play up to six as my only five drops. I just always wanted that card. It was so good. All right, so Dustborn Skymarcher, the, the single white for the 1-1 one, one flyer uh, that pays a, a single mana to a white mana to tap and give target attacking creature plus one plus one. That's another signal card. A Danto Vanguard is great. Uh, just good in any white deck, but excels yeah. in vampires. Uh, that's one and a white for the 1-1 one, one vampire that uh, gets plus two plus oh when it attacks, and you can pay four life to give it indestructible. It's just impossible to block profitably. Call to the Feast. Oh, it's right there. Duh. Um, <laughs> on the notes, two white black for the uh, uncommon sorcery. That makes three one one vampire tokens with lifelink, and then wheeling cards with a creature type vampire on them. Pack one, like a Sky March Bloodletter would be awesome. But even the the one three flyer for one and a white Sky March something, uh, no Legion of the something, no That's Sky Legion Sovereign type. something. I don't know. We're terrible with cards. Name names. that card. <laughs> yeah but pretty much anything a legion conquistador that's two and a white for the two two uh that goes and searches up other legion conquistadors the the squadron hawk uh if you will mm-hmm. um pretty much anything that says vampire on it if you're wheeling cards because i think people are competing for that deck a lot so i, th- I think it can support two drafters um yes, I agree. so if you're if you're wheeling cards that say vampire on them it probably means there's only one other person doing it so it's probably safe for you to move in but it's worth noting that your vampires deck will not be good at all if you don't have anointed deacon or pirate's cutlass it's essential that you've got ways to make your 1-1 lifelink tokens relevant. So the biggest signal, I think, for vampires is anointed deacon. Uh, if you see that, pick four, 
or even earlier, I think it's fine to take a flyer on it because it's yeah. it's very splashable in a blue-white deck too, or like a white-based deck with a lot of vampires. I want to add two cards to this list. Yeah, do That's it. all right. Uh, one is Paladin of the Bloodstained. I think I'm, th- I'm considering Paladin... I mean, Paladin of the Bloodstained is just a good card, period, but especially in Vampires, if I'm seeing that mm, fifth, like sixth, sixth seventh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that makes me think that Vampires might be open, or at least there might be only one other Vampires drafter. Like, that's not a, I guess I should say, that's not a card that I'm like, if I'm doing something else in my first five picks and then I see Paladin, I'm not like, oh no, I have to be the Vampire drafter and take it. But right. if I've got maybe some white cards or some, if I've, let's say I've got like maybe some black cards and some blue cards, if I see Paladin and no blue cards, I might be like, ooh, maybe I'm supposed to ditch blue and be black white. Right. Um, that's the kind of thing. Uh, and the other card is Bishop of the Bloodstained. And now the five drop slot is very uh, contested in Vampires, specifically because of Anointed Deacon being so strong, and then Contract Killing existing and being a removal spell that you're not embarrassed to have one of in your deck. And then also Glorifier of Dusk existing, and I think people thinking it's very good. So Glorifier of Dusk is the three white, white, uh, I think we can call it Sarah Pangel, uh, the 4-4 vampire yeah. that you can pay two life to give it flying or pay two life to give it vigilance. But I have that lower than Bishop of the Bloodstained, and the Bishop is not something I'm like super excited about. But if I do see it fourth, fifth, it does make me think that Vampires is open. So I, I would consider, depending on how my draft went, grabbing that there and moving in and thinking that maybe Vampires was what I was supposed to be drafting. Interesting. Like, I'm just kind of off Bishop of the Bloodstained in my Vampires decks, so I, that's why I didn't have it on the list. I just don't think it's very good. Like, Anointed Deacon is just so much better. It's so much better, but I think, so it's very, it's weird, but I think Bishop of the Bloodstained represents something yes, ra- I, rather I rather than being a valuable card in your deck necessarily, but I think it represents vampires as an open archetype. That's fair enough. And I think other, if you, if you let it slide by, other people might certainly take it as a signal and move into vamps. Exactly. So I think you, you passing it means you're passing the signal and you receiving the signal means like you have the chance to move in on it. Yep. Fair enough. All right. What about pirates? Okay, so Pirates is a little less clean because Pirates Cutlass is basically the only quote-unquote payoff for Pirates outside of some rare cards. Um, And Pirates Cutlass is just so strong anyway that it's going to be picked up by uh, a competent drafter such as yourself listening to this podcast. Um, But some things you're looking out for are cards that can wheel uh, that are pretty strong in in pirate cards, specifically Headstrong Brute. That's the 3-3 that can't block but can gain menace if you have another pirate in red. Uh, Siren's Ruse, which is the one in a blue instant that blinks a creature, and if it's a pirate, you draw a card. So this card is like, you know, kind of strong if you have some end of the battlefield effects, but very strong in a pirate's deck because it sort of lets you, you know, rebuy some raid triggers and draw a card or save your creature from removal and draw a card. Uh, It's a pretty versatile trick that I've liked a lot, especially in a pretty dedicated pirates deck i've never cast that card but it keeps wrecking me oh it's really good i keep thinking i need to be taking it higher because it keeps crushing me but i've literally never had it in a pirate's deck because i always want to pick it up on the wheel and i never really seem to wheel them that does seem right to me to where you want to pick them unless you like i think you could if you're set up in a few packs uh the first two packs that you could then take it early in pack three but i think like seventh eighth wheeling is is about where you want to be taking that card and I think I, the other reason I don't end with them is because my pirate's decks are aggressive a lot and enchantment-based, and so I value dive down higher. So I'm always taking dive down over it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think Siren's Ruse is more, more belongs in a, a, a more grindy blue-black version of the deck where you're, like, rebuying your Deadeye Tormentors or your uh, Stormfleet Spies to draw cards or, you know, your Hostage Takers if you're a sicko. 
<laughs> um, and then March of the Drowned, I think, is a really, really good card. I mean, just the ability to pay one mana to get back your best two creatures in your graveyard, especially in this format where trading off your two power creatures for your opponent's two power creatures is something that really happens a lot. And then just being able to go ah, two for one and I get to replay one of them is a huge tempo swing in your favor. Lightning Raid Crew is something we talked about before. That's the 05 uh, in red for uh, Tuna Red that you can ping your opponent and then it untap to tap it and then you can untap it to when you uh, cast a pirate spell. Lightning Raid Crew I think is really good and really good in multiples, but it's tough. It sort of feels like it competes a little bit with the identity of red and the three drop slot in general, just because like Headstrong Brood is also a good three drop in red pirate based decks, but is trying to do something different than Lightning Raid Crew is, if that makes sense. Yeah. Cutlass we talked about. And then the rares that, that really make you want to move into to pirates or make you uh, want to prioritize pirates are, I think, Fell Flagship at the top of the list. Like, this is a card I'm thrilled to first pick, thrilled to pick up if it's passed to me. Uh, this is the three mana vehicle uh, that's a 3 3 with crew three, and when it deals damage to your uh, opponent, they discard a card, and it gives all of your pirates plus one, plus O. Oh, so it allows you to, like, crew it with a two-powered pirate because now that two-powered pirate is a three-powered pirate and so on fathom fleet captain this is the one in a black for the two one menace that when it attacks if you control another non-pirate or non-token pirate you can pay two to make a two two menace token which is insane and then dream color siren is the two blue blue for the three three with flash flying it can only block creatures with flying and if you control another pirate when it enters the battlefield you get to tap two non-land permanents that your opponent controls. I mean, all those cards are just, like, really, really strong and uh, really big benefits for having uh, a critical mass of pirates in your deck. Yeah, for sure. Moving on to dinos here. Uh, I've been having some success with red-green dinosaurs lately. So some of the signal cards for dinosaurs, I think the headliners are Otopek Huntmaster, Drover the Mighty, Savage Tomp. Those three kind of are in a tier of their own and are cards that I'm willing to take early like picks one through three and certainly if i see one pick four like is a huge signal to me that dinosaurs is open Otopek Huntmaster is the one in the red for the one two that makes your dinosaurs cost one less to cast and can tap to give a dinosaur haste that card is super scary on the other side of the battlefield mm -hmm. i had two of those in a deck today that was just disgusting drover the mighty one in a green for a one one human shaman that can tap to add a man of any color to your mana pool and gets plus two plus two if you control another dinosaur just both of those cards being two drops that help you ramp out your dinos are very very powerful um, and then Savage Stomp is the removal spell that puts a plus one, plus one counter and fights and costs a single green if you're targeting a dinosaur. So that's a huge way to make up tempo in the dinosaurs decks if you get a slow start. So I think those three are kind of in a tier of their own. Raging Swordtooth, also very good, but slightly a notch below those. That's the uncommon build around. Three red, not really a build around, but the uncommon headliner for the red green archetype. Three red green for the five, five dinosaur with trample. And when it enters the battlefield, it deals one damage to each other creature. So it triggers your own enrage, crushes the vampire deck, kills all their one, one lifelink tokens. Um, pretty good against Merfolk as well. I hate this card. The Raging Sword Tooth? Yeah, like, Why? it triggers your... I Just because I had a deck with two of them, and I played against someone who had a <laughs> bunch of Enrage triggers. Like, that's not super common, though. It's miserable when that <laughs> happens. I'm gonna tell you, that, that card's card... stupid. No, like it. it's so good. That card's no, good. Whatever. You just had a bad experience. Yeah, and I'm done. I'm done forever. Thrash of Raptors at common, I think, is a very big payoff for dinosaurs. Yeah. Like, probably the best payoff at common. 
Um, it's three and a red for the three three dinosaur that gets plus two plus oh and trample if you control another dinosaur. That hits hard. Mm-hmm. And especially backed up by combat tricks like Sure Strike or something is just very hard to deal with. And I think it's even a reason to play like bad clunky dinosaurs like uh, the 3-1 Raptor Companion in white mm-hmm. or uh, the 2-1 Haster. What is that card called? Nest oh, Robber? Nest Robber, yeah. Yeah. And I think another signal for dinos is wheeling Tillinale's knights i think i'm fine not like picking Tillinale's knights like picks four through seven also if i because it's just a fine red two drop um but especially if you're seeing them on the wheel that's a signal to me that nobody else is valuing like dinosaur aggro um and it's a very strong card if you've got like eight to ten dinosaurs in your deck so here's where i struggle with red green dinosaurs yeah i feel like i understand the red white aggressive deck but red green dinosaurs is tough for me because i do feel like i want odapak Huntmaster and drover the mighty so i want to be ramping into some good top end Mm-hmm. So then where do cards like Tillinale's Knight fit into that? I think you're just beating down. You're like red-green beat down. You curve out, you curve, like curving Tillinale's Knight into like the 4-2, yeah. into Thrash of Raptors, into Savage Stomp, like your blocker that's left, and you're hitting for like 10 a turn. Your yeah. creatures hit so hard. Like if your opponent ever makes one misstep and you've got a timely Savage Stomp, now, granted, like some of those creatures trade down, like the 4-2, you have to be careful about when to attack with it. And sometimes it doesn't always pan out that way. But I think I think you're like an aggressive beatdown. I don't think you're really ramping. Like, I think you want to have a critical mass of dinosaurs, specifically Thrash of Raptors. I think Thrash of Raptors is actually the key card for like red-green dinosaurs. Um, and then I'll like have like a couple Colossal Dreadmaws at the top of my curve. But like, you don't really need to ramp to a six drop. Like you're going to hit six mana some amount of the time in this format, even if you're not ramping to it. And then that's why Drover and Odapek Huntmaster are great, because then if you're casting your Colossal Dreadmaw on turn five, it's just awesome. And f- frequently with double Odapek Huntmaster, like I was able to play, like it just makes you curve out and put a lot of pressure on your opponent with big bodies, like hmm. backed up by removal and combat tricks. And the big body, like this sure strike shines in this deck because your opponent's often going to have to be double blocking your creatures. So it just turns it into a two for one. Yeah. That all makes sense. That, that, that puts it in a really nice perspective. Thank you. All right, so uh, the next thing we want to sort of talk about, which isn't maybe quite like a, an archetype uh, in terms of a, a tribal one in this format, but it is one that is very strong, is blue-based one-with-the-wind aggro decks. I'm so sad to let this secret out to the world. Well, <laughs> I feel like we've had it all to ourselves for a couple weeks. Yeah, we'll, we, it'd be interesting to see how the format eventually adjusts, but at least in the intermediate uh, pleb queues, the one with the wind decks are still uh, very, very viable, and the card is going much later than it should. You and I have one with the wind pegged as one of the best commons in the format, and uh, it really shines here mostly because the deck doesn't need to be tribal to be good, and it pairs with any color. So what this deck is trying to do is have as many one with the winds as you can get, and as many ways to protect those one with the wind creatures as you can get, like dive down and siren storm tamer those are the two big ways that you can protect your creatures with one with wind so dive down is the blue mana instant that gives your uh, creature you control hexproof and plus oh plus three until end of turn so it's like a fine combat trick just on its own that you could just play one of in any deck but the fact that it gets to protect your creature that you uh, your opponent's like so excited to two for one you because you've made the quote-unquote mistake of playing an enchantment on your creature and you just go nope one mana protected sorry uh and siren storm tamer is the one blue mana one one uh flyer that has the activated ability of one mana sacrifice it to counter a spell that targets you or a creature you control so it does a a good impression of dive down i cannot tell you the number of times i've had my opponents concede to me casting dive down in this format yeah it's it's a lot (laughs) because they because the removal is so clunky 
and you just can't really take a lot of it, your opponent probably has the one shot at dealing with it. Like, you've suited up your creature with one with the wind, god forbid it's something like Bishop Soldier that's gaining you four life a turn, and they go, okay, I finally got it. I have Raid, and I'm casting Fire Cannon Blast. And you just go, dive down. That's it. That was their chance to deal with that card, and you protected it. So it's really important to do that. I'm basically on having a pretty equal ratio if i'm leaning like slightly less on the dive downs to the one with the winds but like if i've got two one with the winds i'm pretty happy to have two copies of the protect spells like some combination of storm tamers and dive downs uh if i've got three i'm not mad about having three though two will be fine etc um but i'm on a sort of even ratio there uh, so we can look at the ways that these blue decks pair with each other color. So certainly blue and green, that's going to be an aggro merfolk deck that's not mad at all about having one with the wind. Uh, it's already got River Herald's Boon doing a, a similar impression as one with the wind, uh, but you're happy to have a, a lot of copies of both of those cards if you've got a good critical mass of creatures as well. Um, a blue-black deck is going to also take advantage of Mark of the Vampire being... Uh, you know, not as good as one with the wind because it's four mana, not two mana. But the fact that you gain lifelink from Mark of the Vampire puts it in that enhancement category that we talked about in Beard uh, pretty solidly. Being able to race, because a lot of this format comes down to racing, with something like Mark of the Vampire on one of your creatures is really going to make combat kind of tough for your opponent to navigate. Uh, and certainly a card like Wanted Scoundrels, which is the one in a black for the 4-3 pirate that when it dies your opponent gets two treasures... We just, we talked about how there are like five, there's a five mana three two in red, right? Yeah. A five mana three two in red in Stormfleet Pyromancer. Wanted Scoundrels is two mana for a four three. Do you remember when I said this card wasn't good? I think you gave it a D, right? (laughs) I did. I'm so embarrassed. Yeah. I'm so ashamed. Mostly because I do think like the drawback would be worse in a different format if there were better cards to ramp into, but it turns out there's just not very many good cards to ramp into in the format. Mm -hmm. This card's just a house. Yeah, I am first picking this card often. Yeah, I mean, we, what were we talking about today? We were talking about Settle the Wreckage versus... Uh, uh, Kinjali's Sunwing. Kinjali's Sunwing and... versus this. It's pretty close. <laughs> yeah, I picked this, and I wasn't very unhappy about it. Yeah, it's a great card. If you're pairing blue with red, you're going to be taking advantage of... Red having a weaker cousin of One with the Wind in Swashbuckling, which is the one in a red for the enchantment, plus two, plus two, and haste to a creature. And then you're just looking for as many one drops and two drops as possible. So, like, then you've got Fire Shrine Keeper as Red's common one drop menace, uh, one one. Uh, Frenzied Raptor, God forbid you have Frenzied Raptor with a one with the wind on it. That's going to be a six four cracking it in the air and then blue white which is sort of a, a favorite deck of ours especially because it's been so heralded by ryan Sachs, who has helped us out both uh with navigating this format blue white aggro might be just one of the best decks in the format if not the best deck plopping a one with wind onto a bishop soldier that's the two two with lifelink or a territorial hammer skull to tap things down or an Adanto vanguard which is just like game over basically all of those creatures are really really strong with uh one with the wind backed up with some sort of blue tempo or a pious interdiction from white. So ways that you can get into this deck are certainly one with the wind. Siren Storm Tamer is, I think, a card that has just gone up and up in value. Again, that's the one mana, one, one flyer that protects creatures. Dive Down is, at least currently, not a card you need to take very highly. 
Like, I value this card a lot, but I have to sort of stop myself from taking its sixth pick if I'm, like, grabbing one with the wins because I know I can get them later. So be aware if you're wheeling them because that's going to be just a, a good reinforcement that you're in the right seats. And then looking at good bounce and tempo, Perilous Voyage, Water Trap Weaver, these are going to be the most efficient things. I mean, Water Trap Weaver, Weaver and Hammer Skull are really strong in this deck, especially because uh, it's ways that you're, you're basically doing two things. You're, like, adding creatures to the board and then tempoing your opponents out by not letting them block and uh, having some amount of bounce to set your opponent back with Perilous Voyage, Depths of Desire, and Run Aground, I think are all really important things to do. Yeah, and this deck's really strong. And I think the biggest strength of this deck is that it is flexible. It doesn't mm -hmm. rely on tribal synergies, and it's pretty easy to draft if you're seeing one with the wins. It's tough without one with the wins. There's also a version of the deck that's black-red that I think Christian Calcano featured at Worlds mm -hmm. that relies more on swashbuckling and Mark of the Vampire. But this deck right here is its own archetype, and it's based around the enhancements we talked about with Beard. So, And I think those four cards are Pirate's Cutlass, one with the wind, Mark of the Vampire, and Swashbuckling. And that's where the, the Ian Beard comes from. And it's a huge force in this format. And I think like this is the sort of deck that I default to if I haven't identified a tribe that's open in my seat. Yeah. This is, I think, that that E and enhancements for from Beard is the biggest thing that makes this format so tough is because we have just, as good limited players, you have so ingrained in yourself that Auras are bad. You're setting yourself up for two-for-ones. Two You're investing things in, uh, like, building up creatures, and that can set yourself up to get out-tempoed later in the game. And that's just not the case here. Because the creatures are so weak, those enhancements are the things that are going to let you power through the rest of the game. Right. Re Removal's not good. Enhancements are. And the revert. I think that's why you and I were struggling in the format in the beginning, because we oh, were taking yeah. we were taking removal highly. And we were like taking one with the wins and Mark of the Vampires, but not nearly as aggressively as we are now. And I think we were way overvaluing the, the clunky five drop removal. Yeah. So, yeah, if you'll just stick with Beard, uh, the bombs. So it's bombs, enhancements, aggro, and then cheap removal, preferably maybe one one copies of an expensive removal spell and then dudes, just cheap dudes. Yeah. That's the secret to success in the format. For sure. So before we uh, head out here, we're going to re-rank the top commons. Yeah. So before we get into any colors, we just got to shout out Pirate's Cutlass as probably the best common in the format. Maybe not like pound for pound on power level, but certainly on pack one, pick one, you're guaranteed to play it in your deck and it's going to be good in your deck. Right. And it's not going to go in every deck. Like if you're, you know, in pack two of the draft, you might pass a Pirate's Cutlass and that's okay. Sure. But pack one, pick one, it's a house. Yeah. All right, white. We've got number one, and this is maybe a little controversial, uh, Bishop Soldier. That's one and a white for the 2-2 Vampire with lifelink. The card's just great. It does it all. plays aggro well. It plays defense well. It prevents your opponent from attacking you because they're going to get cracked back by a 2-2 lifelinker. And it's kind of the headliner card. It and one with the wind kind of are their own deck, like that blue-white uh, aggro deck with one with the wind. Mm -hmm. um, and then second, we've got Territorial Hammer Skull. Um, and certainly a lot of people are going to have Territorial Hammer Skull, number one. I I've been picking Bishop Soldier over Territorial Hammer Skull. Uh, I think it's the two. I think your three-drop slot gets a little clogged, and I think Bishop Soldier is the best two-drop in the format. Yeah. At, at common, certainly. And even runs with a lot of the best uncommons, too. So Territorial Hammer Skull, second. And then Pious Interdiction, third. That's three and a white for the enchantment. Uh, that's the pacifism effect that gains you two life when it enters the battlefield. And I think that two life gain tacked onto there is makes this quite a lot better. Yeah. For sure. Because like, it's, it's a little clunky at four mana, but that two life gain really helps uh, make up for the tempo loss. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I don't actually know, but I think a lot of our rankings are going to be pretty controversial with uh, the broad scope of this format. Um, so in blue, 
surprise, surprise, we talked about an entire archetype being built around this card. One with the wind is our top common in blue. Uh, and then we've got Water Trap Weaver behind that. That's the two in a blue, two, two Merfolk that when it comes into play, taps a creature. It doesn't untap until uh, its opponent's next untap step, or it doesn't untap in its opponent's next untap step. And at three, we've got Shaper's Apprentice. That's the one in a blue for the two, one Merfolk that if you control another Merfolk, it has flying. So again, we're just like valuing. You can see it right here. <laughs> Enhancements first, aggro next, and then just cheap dudes last. Uh, blue doesn't really have access to removal, unfortunately, at least in the cheap variety. Uh, it has got some bounce and run aground, uh, perilous voyage, and depths of desire, but that doesn't compete with what we've got here. No, and I, I went through this weird progression with one with the wind, where I felt like guilty about playing it. I did too, and and then I was like, okay, this is just good, but like I still wouldn't put it the best blue common, but like I knew it was really good, and then I got to the point where I was just like. You know what? Screw it. This card's awesome. I'm taking it. I'm first picking it. It just is. It's just the best blue common. Yeah. And one of the best commons, period. But it, like, I think you went through that same progression. It was just like weird how that went. It just feels like it goes against every fiber of my limited being to go, you know what's the best blue card in the format is a stupid enchantment. <laughs> It's not stupid, though. It's so good. It no, wins games. Great. Yeah. It wins games. All right. On to red. Uh, our best red common, and this is probably also controversial, Fathom Fleet Firebrand, one in a red for the 2-2 pirate that's got smoke breathing. Fire Cannon Blast, that's the one red red, deal three damage to our creature, and if you've got raid, it deals six. And then Tillanali's Knight, third, that's one in a red for the 2-2 two, two, uh, human knight that gets plus one, plus one when it's attacking if you control a dinosaur. So two, two drops there, and the Fire Cannon Blast. Yeah, I mean, we've got, again, it's going in the exact same order of Beard. There's no bombs, there's no enhancements here. We don't have Swashbuckling in the top three yet, but that might happen in the next few weeks. But we've got Aggro and Fathomfleet Firebrand, we've got Cheap Removal and Fire Cannon Blast, and we've got Dudes and Till and Ollie's Knight. Uh, moving on to Black, uh, we still got Vanquish the Week at number one. It's held true, though it is no longer our favorite common overall of the format. That's the two in a black for the instant that destroys target creature with power three or less. So this does kill most commons in the format. Uh, I think a knock against it is that you can get blown out with pump spells. Your opponent can like save their creature with a pump spell or a trick like that. Um, but it's also just like you want to be, again, what, do we, what we said at the beginning of the format is, or the beginning of the episode is, you want to be the one posing the questions, not the one needing to come up with the answers. The other knock against it is that it doesn't hit something that's suited up with One with the Wind or Pirate's Cutlass. Right. Like, if they've already landed that, it doesn't help you solve that problem. Oh, such a good point. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then, this is sort of a cop-out, but I do think they're so neck and neck. Uh, tied for two is Skullduggery and Skymarch Bloodletter. And I think this is just really varies where you are in the draft and what your deck looks like so i think i'm on the sky march bloodletter side of things if this is like pack one pick one right because it gives you the option to be vamps and it's just going to go in any black deck and also i want to pose the questions i want right. to put the two two flyer and play rather than have the removal spell slash combat trick in my hand waiting for something to target it with um, so I think Skymarch Bloodletter just edges out Skullduggery ever so slightly for me. But at a certain point in the draft, if I've already got a couple Bloodletters and then I see a Bloodletter versus a Skullduggery, I'm going to grab the Skullduggery. Um, so that that's where that like is a sort of conversation with the pile of cards you have. And then third, we have Contract Killing, sort of like, I think, begrudgingly or by default. Like, you're going to want, I think, certainly, you want one 
catch-all removal spell in your deck if you can have one, if that's a contract killing, if that's a walk the plank, if that's a pious interdiction, a Nixlon's binding, that kind of thing. So contract killing is the three black black, destroy target creature at sorcery speed, and then you get two treasures. Um, so I'd like to know that my deck has access to one way to just like kill something if my opponent happens to have something like a Burning Sun's Avatar or a, I don't know hostage taker but they've probably already done the damage with hostage taker or you know a charging monster sword let's say i want to know that i can kill charging monster sword if my opponent plays it so uh that's why i think a contract killing still hangs out in the top three yeah and then on to green this is going to show our bias here towards green wanting to be merfolk uh number one we've got river herald's boon uh that's the one in a green for the instant that lets you put a plus one counter on one target merfolk and other one other target creature or you can put both counters on the merfolk if it's a merfolk i had an opponent type that in chat today to me like i put, I put two counters on one creature and they were like you can do that <laughs> and i was like yeah you can uh deeper warrior that's one in a green for the two two that gets plus one plus one when it gets blocked and then tashana's wayfinder two in a green for the two two merfolk that explores when it enters the battlefield so two merfolk there and an enhancement and again it's showing our beard thing enhancements number two and then we've got like aggro deep root mm-hmm. warrior and then dudes tashana's wayfinder says merfolk on it it's gonna help you hit lands it's yeah a good body if it if it hits it's a three three for three which is great in the format um so our, as you can see our common rankings have changed a ton drastically since the set review and i think this reordering is what has led to our success yeah ben are you so excited pounce is not in the top three i know we got it out of there i am excited yeah i pegged that card in the set review um do we have time to talk about a couple of these cards yeah let's do it i just want to talk about a few cards that i think are tempo negative we're talking about this deck being so aggressive and you want it to be so assertive and there are a handful of cards that i think looked strong initially and just like really you don't have time for or you need to be very wary of playing uh and those cards are going to be bonded horncrest which is the three and a red five five dino that can't attack or block alone uh and storm sculptor which is the three and a blue for the three two merfolk that when it comes into play you have to return a creature to your hand and it's unblockable Both of those cards are really dangerous things, I think, to put in your deck because they set your opponent up to be able to craft game states where that card is dead for you. So certainly Bonded Horncrest, you can like, you know, you have that and play in another creature and they remove that creature. They tap it with Water Trap Weaver or Territorial Hammer Skull and now you thought you had two blockers and now you have zero blockers. But that's your own fault because you've put this tempo negative card into your deck. Uh, Storm Sculptor, very similarly, um, if you, you know, you can sort of craft the state of like, oh, I want to curve out. I want to go two drop, three drop, but then my four drop makes me rebuy my three drop. And you can talk yourself into, oh, but I have Water Trap Weaver. I have Jade Guardian. I have these Enter the Battlefield effects that I want to rebuy. But that Storm Sculptor is really negatively impacting the tempo on yourself. You're yeah, ain't, setting ain't nobody got time back. for that in this format. <laughs> <laughs> nobody has time for that. Exactly. And things like these sort of like utility creatures like blossom dryad and rummaging goblin though i think there are sort of niche homes for both of these cards in general these are not the things you want to be doing because these are creatures that you're playing that aren't actually affecting combat and this format is based entirely around combat Um, so investing mana in things that don't impact combat or impact the creatures on your opponent's side of the board are not things you want to be doing your rummaging goblin getting picked off by skullduggery feels horrific yeah I mean, it feels horrific, but it's also like, well, he wasn't blocking anyway, so I don't, I don't know if I really care about it getting killed. But yeah, it's just terrible. So th- those are just the, the handful of cards I, I wanted to talk about, just because I know that we had we had a Horncrest pretty high in the set review. We had Storm Sculptor. I had that in my top three in the set review. So I uh, just wanted to, to throw those out there. 
Yeah, a few cards for me. Uh, Bishop of the Bloodstained. I'm just pretty down on that card. Mm-hmm. We talk, We kind of hit on that in the, the Vampire section. Uh, Anointed Deacon is just so much better. A card that people seem to be high on that just hasn't been good for me ever is Ranging Raptors. Yeah. And the card's powerful, and it seems like it should go into like a multicolor control deck. I just think that multicolor control deck's not good in the format. Ergo, like Ranging Raptors isn't good, despite the fact that it's a powerful card. I also think the multicolor control deck probably wants to be blue-based with treasures. Blue-based, yeah, with and treasures, not like blue-black. Yeah, yeah. And then another card that I see people playing all the time that I just don't think is very good is Kanjali's Caller, the single white mana for the O3 that makes your dinosaurs cost one less. I don't think there's room in this format for a card that like doesn't really do anything, because that card doesn't even really block a lot of the two-drop commons right. that not attack the good well. ones. It doesn't block no. Deeper Warrior. It doesn't block Fathom Fleet. It doesn't, like, Bishop Soldier, you're still gaining two life when you attack with it. Like, it's not doing a lot. Yeah, it just doesn't impact the board enough, and unless you just get the nuts curve out, like it's really not worth a card slot. So I'm pretty down on that one. Those are, those are a few of the cards I wanted to hit. Great. All right, that episode Ooh. is it. That's what we know. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we just we bear bore our souls for you all on this podcast. Yeah, uh, and huge shout out again to uh, Ahead Dude and Ryan Sachs. I'll try and link. Ryan wrote an article this week in Star City oh, yeah, Games that has so a lot good. of this information. I'll link it in the show notes. I'll try to find it and link it in the show notes. Uh, if you want to see, like, if you're more of a visual person, you need to go read Ryan's article. Yeah. And he, he I think, differs maybe slightly from some of the stuff on us still, because every once in a while, even now, like, he disagrees with me on draft picks. But I think, by and large, we're in a line with what he has showed us. I just want to also shout him out because I love the thing about him that I love is that he's clearly very smart. He clearly has a good handle in this format, but he's never, he, it's not black and white for him. It's not, I'm right, you're wrong. He's always open to like, oh, interesting. Or like, you should probably take what feels right for you. And like every drafter is different. And I think he has a really like open, subjective way of looking at the format that is a pretty big breath of fresh air from how a lot of the magic community views draft picks yeah it's always in my opinion and ahead dude's always in my humble opinion yeah i think that's (laughs) probably why they're so good well yeah and i think that's why we're like listening to them too because they're obviously smart and they're not critical and they're open to discussions and ryan too even now is like yeah this is what i think but a lot of people don't think this or Mm -hmm. this is what i think and you don't have to think it either but it's what's working for me yeah um yeah they're both very open-minded people so, yeah, go take this and go win some Ixalan drafts. Our, yeah. Both our win rates are around 70% since we've been employing this stuff. And give us some feedback. Like, let us know what's working for you, what's not working for you, where you differ. Do you have different pick orders? Do you have cards that you think we've missed or overlooked? We'd love to know that. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. And a reminder, we've got our Ixalan treasure hunt going on. Uh, you can tweet at us and tweet at Lords of Limited, or if you're not on Twitter, you can email us screenshots at lordsoflimited@gmail.com. We've got 14 of them crossed off. There are only four remaining. One is uh, infinite looping your opponent with Sanguine Sacrament. One is make Tashana's Voice of Thunder a 10-10. One's mill your opponent out with Overflowing Insight. Can't remember what the fourth one is. It's based oh. around a mythic. It's another mythic. It's all the ones that are based around mythics that are left. Um, so there's four left uh i've posted that on twitter i'll pick, make another post on twitter probably tomorrow with an update for that generation d20 is already locked for the giveaway for five packs we've got a lot of other people that are close to getting five done i've done three i think you've done one at least yeah i've only done one i guess came so close to getting uh equal uh employment oh yeah that was hilarious yeah that was hilarious um the one more other one we're missing is cockroaches will survive have a creature survive star of extinction Ooh, yeah there it is yeah so be sure to finish that off. We re- I really want to be able to do an 18-hour stream with you. 
Yeah, for sure. All right, where can people find us? You can connect with us on Twitter. I am at Lord Tupperware. Ben is at Mr. Metronome. You can catch us streaming on Twitch. I am at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. I also have a YouTube channel. I have six Ixalan drafts up there. We also have, thank you to everyone who's subscribed. The the shout out for subscribers two weeks ago really worked. Pushed me over the, the edge for 100 subs on YouTube. And we now have a URL, URL YouTube slash.com slash c slash lord tupperware really really catchy i know so be sure to check that out and let me know what you think yeah if you've got any feedback about the show or questions for us send us an email at lords of limited at gmail.com thank you all so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of lords of limited yep thanks everybody see you later